Alrighty. Well, it's good to it's pretty good to know that people have your back, yeah? Your mates, your family, the people that you're closest to, you want to know that they have your back and will back you up and support you when you need it most. Um, so when it when someone that you think has your back betrays your trust, it can be pretty devastating. Um, we've all experienced it a bit playing board games. Who's played the game Risk? Yeah. Risk is one of my favourite board games and See, it's a game of world domination. The aim of it is to conquer the world. You've got your troops and you're trying to conquer the world. But often, to win the game, you need to form alliances with the other people. And you form like border alliances. You say, look, I won't attack you at this border if you don't attack me. But the thing is, people always betray your trust. People always break the alliance. You can't win if you don't break the alliance. And so you might have all your troops in South America and leave Africa completely unfortified. And then in one foul move, someone will attack Egypt, they'll take Africa, and you're left with like five men in the corner of Argentina. You see, risk has the potential to end friendships because you put your trust on the line, expecting that the people, other people will have your back, but someone always breaks your trust. And the other person is left to pull the knife out of their back. That's pretty dramatic for a board game, yeah? But I've played risk games that are like that, man. Now, usually what happens in a game stays in a game, though. But I wonder if anyone has ever questioned someone's loyalty outside of a board game. Someone you really trust. Do they really have my back? Maybe you overhear one of your mates say something about you, and it's devastating. How can this person, how can I trust this person again? Maybe you do or say something uh, slightly awkward or a bit random, and instead of someone supporting you or having your back, they avoid you and sort of don't back you up and just leave you hanging. I wonder if you've ever questioned God in the same way. Does God really care about me? Does he have my back? So you could ask that question when things aren't going well for you in your life. Maybe this week you sat your HSC trials exams and you stuffed them up. You didn't uh, didn't go anywhere near as well as you expected. And you're starting to think, well, maybe I won't get into that uni course I'd been hoping for. Does God really care about me? Or maybe you're that person who is feeling a bit rejected and, and ignored around your mates. And you start to question, if God really cared about me, Surely things would be different. Or maybe things are really tough and you're struggling almost every day with anxiety. You never feel completely at ease when you're around other people and, and coming to EV youth is difficult and that's the place you'd think God would want you to be most. You see, does God really care about you if he's allowing you to be so anxious? Does he really have your back? If he did, surely things would be different. That question can surface at other times as well. I reckon you might start asking that question if you've stuffed up again and you've stumbled in sin. Maybe easy example to pick is porn. Maybe you're actively fighting to help get rid of porn in your life, but you've been tempted again and you've stumbled. And you start to question, what if my actions or what if my failures lead to God bailing on me? Does he really have my back then? You see, it's a question that can come up 
for a number of reasons. And it's a question that's so important for us to have an answer to, an answer that we can trust on and rely on. And tonight, as we dig into the book of Numbers, God's going to answer this question. It's up on the screen. How can I be sure that God cares about my good? But before we dig into the book, um, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've spoken to us in the book of Numbers. And as we read it tonight, uh, I pray that I will be able to communicate your word clearly. Um, uh, But I also pray that we'll have ears that are listening and want to hear what you say to us uh, in this book. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So tonight we're going to be zooming through three whole chapters of the book of Numbers, which before you freak out, don't freak out because I reckon the events that happen in these chapters are some of the most fascinating, most random and, and almost most funny, book, funny events in the Bible. These chapters involve three main characters. Yeah? There's a guy we read about, a guy called Balak, and he's the king of Moab. There's another guy, a a sort of witch doctor guy called Balaam. And Balaam has a reputation of being really powerful. Balaam also owns a donkey, who's a pretty significant character in this event as well. But the third main character is God, the God of Israel. And as we work through this event, we're going to do it by zooming in on each of these three main characters. And so as, but as we do that, one big thing is going to stand out. And the big thing I want, us to see, I want us to see tonight as we look at uh, these three chapters is that God has a plan to bless his people. But before we do that, we need to briefly remind ourselves of where we're up to in the book of Numbers. Last week, you might remember, uh, Sully took us through the first part of chapter 21. Remember, it was snakes on a plain, but instead of on a plain, it was snakes in a desert where the Israelites were camping out. But after that snake episode, the Israelites actually decide to pack up camp, which is a pretty, pretty wise move, I reckon. And they start heading to this place called Moab. But on their journey to Moab, they run into a bit of trouble. See, when they, get, uh, they, get, they arrive at this place called Heshbon, and when they get there, they send a message into the king of Heshbon, a guy called Shion, spelt slightly differently. <laughs> but they say, look, Look, we're coming on our way to Moab and we just want to pass through your country. We just want to pass through. We're not going to get sidetracked. We're not going to steal anything. We just want to go straight through. We're not going to cause any trouble. But Shion doesn't like the sound of it and he goes, no, 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 no. Whoa. He said, actually, let's check it out in chapter 21, verse 23. This is what Shion says. Uh, It says, 21, verse 23. But Shion would not let Israel pass through his territory. He mustered his entire army and marched out into the wilderness against Israel. And when he reached Jahaz, he fought with Israel. Israel, however, put him to the sword and took over his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, but only as far as the Ammonites, because their border was fortified. Sounds like the Ammonites knew how to play risk. But Israel... Israel destroys Shion and his army, even though they just wanted to peacefully pass through the country. And the same thing actually happens again when they get to a place called Bashan. Israel destroys the king of Bashan called Og and his army, and they keep moving on towards Moab. Can you imagine what Balak, the king of Moab, would be thinking as he sees the Israelites tearing through these two countries 
and killing both their kings and all their army. You'd be freaking out. Well, let's actually check out what the king of Moab, how he responds, because he's the first character we're going to zoom into, the king of Moab, this guy called Balak. And what we're going to see is that Balak's about to get wrecked. You see, it's like a game of risk. Balak's opponent has just marched through Heshbon, they've taken out Bashan, and Balak is left sitting in Moab, and he's freaking out. He's about to get wrecked. And he realises that for Moab to defeat Israel, they're going to need to pull something out of the bag. They're going to need to find someone who's going to kick some Israelite butt. And so Balak comes up with this plan. He doesn't try to find like some super warrior like Wonder Woman, but instead he calls for the help of this guy called Balaam. And remember, Balaam was that witch doctor. Because Balaam actually has a reputation and a history for wrecking people. But not because he's some super warrior, Balaam, it's because he's this witch doctor. And actually, let's read in chapter 22 in verse 5. We read it just before, but let's read it again. Chapter 22, verse 5. Here, Balak has actually sent some of his men out to fetch Balaam. And the men say to him, A people has come out of Egypt... They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. And here's Balaam's reputation if you read on. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. Now what does Balaam do about this? Well, he tells Balaam's men to stick around for the night and he says, look, I'm going to go chat with God of Israel and I'll come back to you in the morning and we'll see whether God's going to let us do this thing. But actually, instead, God comes to Balaam and if you read in verse 12, this is what God says to Balaam. Verse 12, God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The Israelites are blessed. Now, when did God bless these people, the Israelites? Well, you might remember back in the book of Genesis, uh, when God makes a few promises to a guy called Abraham. Abraham's the father of the Israel, nation of Israel. And Genesis, in Genesis 12, it's going to come up on the screen. But in Genesis 12, this is what God says to Abraham, or Abram, it's, he's called here. The Lord said to Abram, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, there's God's plan and promise to bless his people. He promised it to Abraham. And remember, that's the big thing we want to see tonight as we work through this passage, that God has a plan to bless his people. It's a plan that started with Abraham back in Genesis. And here in Numbers, we see God sticking with his plan. And so God says to Balaam, don't go with Balak's men. Those people, the Israelites, they're blessed. You can't curse them. And so the next morning, Balaam gets up and he sends Balak's men back to Balak, their king. But Balak's sitting in Moab and Israelites about to attack him. And so Balak doesn't give up because Balak doesn't want to get wrecked. So he sends more men back to Balaam and he sends them his best men and he sends them with some serious cash. 
and Balaam is tempted by it. Because what should have Balaam done at that point when Balak sends more men back to him? He's already got God's answer. God says, no, 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 these, these people can't be cursed. They're blessed. He should have just sent the men back to Balak with a no. But he's tempted. He's tempted with that cash that's on offer. And he says, look, I can't say anything that God, anything other than what God will let me say, but why don't you stick around for the night? I'll go back to God and we'll see if we can, we'll see, we'll see if God will tell us something different. And it's at this point that we zoom in further on Balaam to see what's going on for him. You see, Balaam was about to get wrecked, but, sorry, Balak was about to get wrecked, but Balaam, he's about to get shrecked. <laughs> Now, what I mean by Shrekt is this sort of Shrekt. Yep. And we'll see why in a minute. But first, God does come to Balaam again. Yeah, God does come to Balaam again. But this time, he lets Balaam go with Balak's men. But he does it under clear instruction. God says to Balaam, check it out in verse 20. God says to Balaam, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. And so Balaam, he's tempted by the cash and he's keen for it. The next morning he gets up, he hops on his donkey and he heads off to Moab with Balak's men. And this is the point where it gets real trippy. You see, God's actually angry at Balaam when he heads off with Balak's men. God's angry. Even though God said, yep, you can go with them. Check out verse 22. But God was angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, he turned off the road into a field, and Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. This story is getting pretty hectic. Balaam's sitting there, and he's riding his donkey down the road, And all of a sudden, there is this angel standing in the middle of the road, blocking his way, and he's holding a sword. Anyone else picturing this sort of thing? This is what I pictured. (laughs) Some angel standing in the road, blocking the way. But that's not not just what happens. This angel, he keeps getting in the way of Balaam's donkey. Balaam's donkey tries to dodge the angel. He goes off into a field. The angel comes and stands in front of him again. They keep playing this sort of game of dodging. And Balaam's getting really frustrated because, you see, Balaam can't actually see the angel. The donkey can see the angel, but Balaam can't. And so Balaam's getting really frustrated and he starts laying into the donkey with his stick. But you see, that's not, that's not the only way this story gets crazy. See, we're about to see how Balaam gets shrekt. Read with me in verse 28. Then the angel of the Lord opened the donkey's mouth... And it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? This is one of the funny things. Notice Balaam's donkey has just talked to him. And Balaam just answers him back. (laughs) He says, you made a fool of me donkey. (laughs) If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you. That's my best Shrek voice. I can't do Eddie Murphy, so... But then when the donkey replies to him, he says, 
Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? In other words, Balaam's donkey is saying, you know me, Balaam. This isn't like me. Is this how I usually behave? And Balaam sort of shrinks back and he just goes, well, no. But then God opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel. And he's gobsmacked. He falls down in front of the angel and the angel says to Balaam, I'm here opposing you because your path is reckless. Now, why is God angry at Balaam? There's a lot of confusing stuff in this event, but the thing that confuses me the most is why did God allow Balaam to go to Balak and then get angry at him? Well, I think the answer is actually in what the angel says next. Who, by the way, I reckon the angel is actually God himself. You can ask me about that later. But Balaam says, I've sinned, and if you're unhappy with me, I'll turn back. And the angel says, check it out in verse 35. He says, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. Now notice, that's exactly what God said the first time. I think, ba- I think God was angry with Balaam because he wasn't going to be completely obedient to what God said. See, that's how important obedience is to God. God knew Balaam's intentions were to disobey And so he shreks him with a talking donkey. When you read on, Balaam continues actually to go on to Moab to meet Balak. And when he gets there, Balak seems a bit frustrated that he's taken so long. And Balaam says in verse 38, he goes, Well, I've come to you now, but I can't say whatever I please. I must only speak what God puts in my mouth. See, Balaam's learnt the lesson that we need to learn. And as we zoom in on the, we need to learn it as we zoom in on this, the final character in these chapters, God. You see, we've seen Balaam, he's about to get wrecked. Balaam gets shrecked. And as we move in on God, we see that God has final say. Balaam can only speak what God puts in his mouth. And as you read on throughout chapters 23 and chapter 24, which we won't do tonight, but I'd actually really encourage you to do that over this weekend. We see that Balak takes Balaam around to a whole bunch of different places around Moab. And they set up altars and sacrifices on mountains, valleys, and Balak tries to get Balaam to curse Israel. But all Balaam can do is bless them. We read one of those blessings in the Bible reading tonight, and let's check it out again in chapter 23, verse 8. This is Balaam speaking. He says, 23, verse 28, How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom God has not denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them, from the heights I view them. I see a people who live apart, And do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? See, God has the final say. And he said to Abraham back in Genesis that he has a plan, a plan to make Abraham into a great nation and a plan to bless that nation. And remember, the big thing we need to see from these chapters is that God has a plan to bless his people. And God has final say. Israel's blessed. Well, we've zoomed in on each character, yeah? We've zoomed in on and seen that Balaam's about to get wrecked. 
sorry, Balak's about to get wrecked, Balaam's going to get shrecked, and God has final say. But these chapters are a bit like a Marvel movie. Everyone knows that if you, if you ha- hang around at the end of a Marvel movie, um, you get to see a preview of what's coming next. You're inter- sometimes you're introduced to some new character that's going to appear in the next Marvel films. And you go, oh man, who the heck is that? At least I do anyway, because I don't read the comics. But right at the end of these chapters, we get a glimpse into where God's plans are heading next. God's plans to bless his people. And they're heading for Jesus. Because the next thing we're going to see is that Jesus is God's plan to bless his people. See, check out Numbers 24, verse 17. We'll read it from verse 17. This is the fourth of seven times that Balak actually tries to get Balaam to curse Israel. And just like every other time, Balaam ends up blessing them instead. And this is what Balaam says. Chapter 24, verse 17. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him. That means I look at him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheph. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Wow. Balaam sees this person and he looks at him. He looks at him, but he's not near. He's not here yet. This person is described as a star and as a scepter, which is what a king holds. And this person, so this person is going to be a king. He's going to come out of Israel and he's going to crush Israel's enemies. Moab, Sheph, Edom, Seir, they're gone. Balaam prophesies that a king is coming that will bless God's people more than you could imagine. And that king is Jesus. See, Jesus is God's plan to bless his people. But you know what's even more incredible? God hasn't just planned to bless the nation of Israel through Jesus. God's plan is that all people can come under that blessing through Jesus. So remember what God said to Abraham. He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Jesus is God's plan to bless his people. But how? You see, Jesus blesses us by defeating our enemies. Israel had the enemies of Moab, Sheth, Edom, Seir, all these nations around them. But we, as well as the Israelites, have an enemy that's far greater. See, sin is our enemy that separates us from God. And when Jesus came 2,000 years ago as the king who was prophesied about by Balaam, he came as the king who would crush that enemy, the enemy of sin. And so the greatest blessing we can have is to have our sins crushed by Jesus. Jesus is God's plan to bless his people. And we become part of that blessing when we trust in him. Now I want us to come back to that question we had at the start. How can I be sure that God cares about my good? You see, this section in Numbers has, has answers to that question. And I want us to see them so that we can confidently say, God really does care about my good. 
Firstly, I want us to see that our ultimate blessing is in Jesus. Take a second to think about this, yeah? Who is someone you know who you think has the most blessed life? Think of someone you know who you think has the most blessed life, the person who has it all. How do we actually know who has a blessed life? What sort of things do we look for? Well, today I went on Instagram and searched hashtag blessed, yeah? I don't actually have Instagram, but I searched this hashtag blessed, and this is what I found. Um, this person, Slinky Bunny. Um, Slinky Bunny thinks that, they're, that you're blessed if you can enjoy the simple pleasures of life, like watching your bunny eat. Hashtag blessed. Next one, Nerdy Chick. Nerdy Chick thinks that if she's able to celebrate one month with her boyfriend, that makes her hashtag blessed. The next guy, Easy Wear. Easy Wear thinks that if he's hashtag breathing and hashtag alive, and because he's got free will and can box, that makes him blessed. Pretty cool. The next one, Alexis Asher. Thinks she, she looks pretty focused in this photo. She also claims that it was taken by mistake. Um, but she thinks that being able to spend time with her family makes her blessed. You could go through a bunch more. There was good food. People had photos of food and travel, health. See, people post about these things suggesting that if you have these things, then you're blessed. But what about when for a moment, or maybe for a month, or for a year, or maybe for the rest of your life, you lose or miss out on these things? What do we think when our boyfriend or girlfriend actually dumps us after three months? What do we do when, uh, when we get a diagnosis that means we can't box ever again? What do we think when we spend time with a certain member of, when we can't spend time with a certain member of our family anymore? Are we blessed then? Does God care about our good? See, guys, if you've trusted in Jesus, you actually can't take a photo of your ultimate blessing and post it on Instagram. Your ultimate blessing is in Jesus. Paul actually puts it like this. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider them garbage, that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. See, if Paul was living today, he would consider one month with his girlfriend, boxing, watching a bunny rabbit eat grass, and even his family, he would consider them as garbage compared to knowing Jesus and knowing that his sins have been crushed by him. See, like the Israelites, our ultimate blessing is actually in Jesus. Except while they only got to see Iron Man 2, we've seen the final Avengers movie. That's the first way this passage answers our question. Can I be sure God really cares about my ultimate good? In Numbers, we see that God has a plan to bless his people not just the Israelites, but actually all people through Jesus if they trust in Him. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you can be sure that you, that you have God's ultimate blessing of having your sins crushed by Jesus. But here's, here's one final way that we, can see, that we can see this passage answers that question, can I be sure God really cares about my good? This passage actually helps us be confident that God's not going to bail on his plan. 
See, right the way through that event, through the Balak and Balaam episode, we've seen that God has this plan to bless his people. A plan that he ultimately fulfills in Jesus. But did the Israelites actually deserve that blessing? Not at all. Israel has actually continued to rebel against God. They grumbled and complained all the way from Egypt to Moab. But despite their impatience, God remained faithful to them. Israel aren't actually even aware of what God is doing with Balak and Balaam. They're not aware that God is working behind the scenes to turn Balak's curse into a blessing. You see, God's plans trump his people's failures. Now, what do I mean by that? Who's played uh, warlords and scumbags? Or emperors and scum, apparently it's also called. It's a card game where you have to get rid of all your cards and you do it by playing a better card than the other people. But there's one card that beats, uh, or that uh, yeah, beats every other card every time, and it's the Joker. The Joker. <laughs> see, if you play the Joker, you win that hand automatically. And see, God's plans are like a Joker. God's plans are trumps. His plans beat everything else. They beat Balak's plans to curse Israel, and they also beat Israel's failure and sin. See, neither Balak's attempts to curse Israel or Israel's failure to obey God led God to giving up and bailing on his plans to bless his people. And so what does that mean for us and our sin? Well, it's important to notice that Israel are actually punished for their impatience and failure. That's what the whole snakes in the desert episode was about. And the writer of the book of Hebrews actually takes the example of Israel's failure to warn us about sin. And he compares the Israelites and their failure to Christians today. He says, it'll come up on the screen. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You see, our sin is dangerous. Remember that it's our sin that separates us from God. And we need Jesus to crush our sin like Israel's enemies were crushed. And so we need to pay careful attention and be warned by the example of Israel so that we trust in Jesus. But we can also be really comforted by this passage when we do fall in sin. See, Jesus is God's plan to bless his people and Jesus is God's plan to crush sin. God's not going to bail on his plan and he hasn't. If you're trusting in Jesus, you can be confident that God is not going to bail on us or you in your sin. But he actually gives us the power by his spirit to continue to fight sin. We can actually confidently say that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which was displayed to us in his plan fulfilled in Jesus. So guys, this crazy episode of Balak, Balaam and a talking donkey answers that question for us. Can I be sure that God really cares about my good? God has a plan to bless his people and he achieved it in Jesus. So if you're trusting in Jesus, your ultimate blessing is in him. And God's not going to bail on his plan to bless you in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you that um, we can read the book of Numbers, this pretty crazy story um, about a talking donkey and, 
And we can see that you are a faithful God who has a plan to bless your people. Uh, We thank you that through trusting in Jesus, we can be included in that blessing. Uh, And we thank you that you... Uh, you're not going to bail on us despite our sin, uh, but we thank you that you've given us the power to continue to fight sin. Um, Help us to keep trusting in Jesus uh, and know that our blessing in life is in him and that we have a future in store for us with Jesus. Uh, We pray these things in his name. Amen.